Hello, this is Benjamin Hampton, and you are listening to the Seattle Film Institute podcast. On our second episode, we spoke with Al Dean. The interview was in May, right before the release of the film Some of Our Stallions, in which Al starred in and produced. Joining in as guests in today's episodes are the actor George Lindenberg Jr., the actress Olivia Taylor Dudley, the director Catherine O'Brien, John Stratton, and Monique Nair. Thank you, and Seattle misses you. Uh, we will roll out the red carpet when you come here next time uh, because you have a very busy year uh, and a couple films coming out. So we are going to be able to have the privilege to show your films at Seattle Film Institute, and we will also have the pleasure to have a, a class, a producing class, that shows the films of Al D. So this will be a, a nice little um, honor for me to be able to teach this class and to use all of the films um, that Al D has executive produced um, as our as our platform to go through our class and talk about these films and, and break them down. Al has had a very successful career. He started in the music industry um, as a promoter for many successful bands in North America and Canada. Um, he worked for Universal. He worked for Live Nation. He was a concert promoter for many successful bands like the Ravenettes, uh, Black Motorcycle Re or Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, uh, Fallout Boys, Coco Rossi, Avril Lavigne. More recently, he organized a tour for John Legend, of all people. Um, this is to show you this guy is serious. Um, he's very well known in his industry and a, and a good success. And several years ago, he made the transition from music to film. And this is a very exciting part of his career that I got to see Al uh, develop into a movie producer on top of everything else that he's done um, and I would mention one more thing he was successful in bringing La La Land to Asia and that was no small feat um, La La Land went on a tour premiered all over Asia with a full orchestra and symphony um, and we have Al to thank for that so Al um, again thank you welcome um, it has been very nice seeing your career uh, sort of progress from music and, and helping to promote and tour with bands to making movies. Al struck up a friendship with Robert Schwartzman, the nephew of Francis Ford Coppola. Um, Al, would you say that you met Robert in maybe around 2010? Is that correct? That's a good memory, my man. Very good memory. Yes, and uh, that's totally correct. 2010, that was the year. Great. At that point, Robert was the frontman um, of the band Rooney, um, which Al happened to catch a show uh, when they were playing in Vancouver. The two of them became friends, and we'll fast forward to 2016, um, when the first movie that Al executive produced was called Dreamland. The story is, uh, I was a big fan of his band Rooney, when I was working for Universal Music, and then when I become a, a concert promoter, you know, so I brought Rooney to China, that's how we met. And then after I become, after I work, yeah, and then when I work for Live Nation, another big concert promoter company in the world, I brought Rooney back to China again. And then from the second tour, Rooney and uh, Robert and me, we become very close, a very good friend. Yeah, so that's actually how we met. Mm -hmm. Wow. So you have organized Rooney to play twice in China. Yes. And then I brought Rooney to perform in China maybe like seven times. Maybe six times, seven times. Wow. Oh, mm -hmm. wow. I did not know this. That That's very interesting. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And... Tell me a little bit about how you and Robert started talking about film and the potential of you guys working together to produce Dreamland. Yeah, and uh, I remember one day, you know, after dinner, suddenly we had this heart-to-heart -heart talk. 
Suddenly, Robert's like, "Oh, you are my close friend. I want to make a movie. Do you want to give me a hand, help me produce the movie?" I said, "Of course. You know, I want to be a part of your first movie. So, you know, that's brotherhood. That's how I, how I, that's how we started to work with each other in movie set." What's your story? I need a pre-qualification letter. Okay. For a business loan. Okay. I have a dream that I want to open a piano bar. Mr. Fagan, I'm gonna level with you. Save some more money. How much money? If this is how much you have now, you would need like this much, in every direction, cubically, that much more. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Monty Fagan, and I will be the new piano player here at the hotel. Just because you're playing here tonight doesn't mean the job is yours. I'm Olivia. What? Will you play Meet Me Tonight in Dreamland? I will definitely play that for you. Yeah. This is bad. Relax. Where is your confidence? I don't know. Hello. This is your mother. Monty, are you okay? Just call me, will you? It's a blank canvas. You yeah. can do whatever you want here. Is there any wiggle room? And that price? No. Well, there shouldn't be because it's a steal. I missed you. You can't miss me, baby. What is that? I wanted to help. It's just a start. I just I want to be with you. It's funny we talked about this. This is my piano teacher, Monty. This is my husband, Alan. Hi there. Nice to meet you, Monty. It's so nice to meet you. Sometimes you just have to take a step back and really contemplate what it is that you're doing. It's all about choices, dude. What notes you play, how you play, when you play. Twelve notes in an octave. Well, everybody has a dream, right? You could join me. Were you nervous to make this change? When we talked to John Stratton, he told us that as you were making this change to work in movies, you read everything you could. Al is a creative business person um, who has incredible energy, is extraordinarily trustworthy,、uh, great at what he does, and、uh, constantly expanding and learning new things. Uh, there's nothing that Al can't do, I believe, and that kind of brings me, by the way, to the other point of when when he was starting to get into the、uh, movie space, and he hadn't done anything in that space, and Al, you know, took it upon himself. He was really interested in films. He was really interested in movies. Obviously, he was culturally interested in it. But from a you know, how do you actually make a movie? How do you finance it? How do you produce it? He didn't know that stuff yet. And I remember the first thing he did was dive. He dove into a ton of books. The guy was reading nonstop to learn about it. That was his first thing. And then, of course, he had a lot of friends、um, from starting from the music space that were also in movies, but then also some other friends that were, you know, strictly in movies. And he tried to learn everything he could from them. He has so many questions. He's an amazing listener.、Um, so he was just soaking up knowledge. And he learned more, I think, in a year than most people would learn in five or six or ten. You know, like he just he absorbed that knowledge,、um, and then he started to put it into action. What, was this a little bit scary? Were you a little bit nervous to make this transition from、uh, working in music to working in film? Actually, not really, not really, because I mean, I work very hard. That's the truth. But back back then. It was not my. I was not intentionally to transfer from music industry to movie industry. I was just really have a good heart to help my friend to get his first movie made. So I was just working hard, but I have no stress. I was not nervous. But now I, you know, also back then I was knucklehead. You know. So, but, 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 but now I feel nervous. Because now after five years in movie industry, no four years, four years, because two thousand twenty doesn't count. So after four years in movie industry, I still haven't make a like a La La Land, Green Book, A Star Is Born that kind of successful scale movie. 
I feel under stress because I want to make big movies, critically, commercially, successful movie globally. So now I feel nervous. Well, I think maybe that happened in your second movie that you produced, uh, Brigsby Bear, caused、mm-hmm. caused quite a、uh, stir at the film festival.、Um, this was a great success, critical, critically and commercially. Um, on top of having you know a great cast and an excellent director and very good film,、uh, you told me a, a, a nice,、uh, really unique story about when you learned that、uh, Brigsby Bear wanted to be distributed. Can you can you talk a little bit about the moment that you found out、um, that、uh, Brigsby Bear was a hit? Yeah, yeah, and、uh, that's actually a good story to tell because I remember back then. You know, I was a thirty-three, thirty-four, thirty-five, thirty, any that age. So I was just happy to make a movie. So after I made the Brisbane Bear, that movie got in Sundance main competition, such a big glory night for me and other team member, other producers, actors. So we were just everybody happy. You know, so I was party, I was drinking, I fall asleep happily. And then the next day, I wake up. I see so many missed phone call, so many message, emails from all these agent. Where's LD? Where's LD? Who has LD's phone number? Wake, wake this guy. Wake, wake him up. Wake this guy up. Also, all these distributors like, LD. Where's LD? Oh no, no. Uh, for the uh distribu for the distributor side, it's like all these distributors like, LD, call me back. I have this offer for you. Another distributor is like Audi. No matter who give you an,、uh, no matter who give you the offer, you have to call me first. With let's let's talk. So it's like a big experience night for me. Now I understand when your movie get to movie festival, don't party, don't get drunk, no rock and roll, work hard, don't get sleep, no don't no sleep. Basically no sleep for two days until you get your deal done. Until you get your deal done, no sleep for you. Wow, wow, and and this was a great film. This is、um, I, Al. When I watched this movie, I must have watched it、uh, two or three times in twenty four hours because I rented it from Amazon,、um, and it was such a nice surprise. It was very nice seeing Mark Hamill,、um, Greg Kinnear, Claire Danes, Kyle Mooney, Adam Sandberg. Um, on top of being kind of funny and an emotionally touching movie,、uh, this was a really good film. Something I need to tell you. Everything's very big. It's really very big. The reason you're here, the reason I'm here, is all just to help you. Everyone says they're trying to help me, but nobody can find me the new episode of Brigsby. There wasn't a new episode this week. This is about moving on with the rest of your life. Try to imagine a hero. Just be normal, alright. Hi, I'm James. I really like your clothes. <laughs> He's not on the bad side. He's on the good side. Yes! You, Rigsby Bear, our keeper of the light. Have you ever been with a girl? And you really want to do this with me? Yeah, man. I mean, there's not a lot of stuff like this out there. <laughs> You're my friend.
this when you felt? Is this maybe that you felt your your first uh, taste that maybe I've got to do this again after the success of producing yeah. this film and it did so well in the film festival? Totally, yes. Another film is like a. It's like a successful drug. You know, you taste it once, you're like, ah, oh, I want to taste it again. You know, and then want to make a, keep working hard. Also, want you slowly to learn what's the, I mean, there's no formula. There's no formula to, to make a good movie, right? There's no rules. But sometimes after you make all these movies, slowly you have, you have like, after you make all these movies, slowly you have kind of a formula or like the sixth sense, how to make better movies. Yeah. That's good. I, I think you talked a little bit about the formula being um, a good script, a good story, good mm -hmm. music. Um, you know, is, is that a little bit, because each of your movies that you've produced seem to have, you know, one or two really recognizable names, a good story, good script. Mm -hmm. Good music. Um, is that mm -hmm. kind of some of the elements that you look for when you're looking to produce a film? That's actually correct. But uh, on top of that, it's really, I mean, it sounds like a cliche. You really have, as a filmmakers, because once you commit a movie project, take you three years. And then that three years, basically, you really have to find a project your heart beat for, your soul connected connected for otherwise the two years or three years all this effort all this sleep sleepless night all this high blood high blood pressures moment it's just uh, not worthy right you because as a filmmakers eventually you want to tell a movie tell stories you you want to express the love the sorrow the depression the peace politics everything you just want to, you know, eventually you need to find a, a story your heart beat for. And then you want to, and then you find the people who you love to make that movie happen. Sometimes the movie becomes success. Sometimes the movie miss. It's just a decision, decision of God. There's nothing you can do. But there's the one thing you can do is find a story you really want to tell. So going back to, um, you had the success of Brigsby Bear, it made a big splash at the film festival, you got a little taste of this drug now of producing two films and now looking for a third. Um, is the next, uh, you team up with Robert Schwartzman in making Unicorn? Yeah, yeah. And uh, no, actually after Brigsby Bear, I made another movie called Piercing. And then after Piercing, I made another movie with uh, rubber called the unicorn i mean the uni the unicorn is not like a it's not a godfather but it's still watchable yeah yeah and uh again you got beverly d'angelo who uh was also in dreamland um you've got and and again dreamland uh talia shire robert schwartzman jason schwartzman um you know, just really fantastic movie. Al D makes a cameo in Dreamland as a bartender. That this was your first uh, acting experience. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I, that's the scene. We will make a smaller movie. We will make indie movies for a lot of background. I mean, I was a background actor. We will make indie movies. You just put a, a lot of friends, you know, to be the background actors. You can that way. You can save at least. Each background actor, you can save like one hundred dollars. Sometimes, you know, because some even some background actor, if they speak, if they have one line, they cost three hundred dollars. If they have no line, zero line, you know, the union ask pay them one hundred dollars. But if you cast your friend, you don't have to pay them. <laughs> <laughs> and all your and all your friends, all your friends sometimes they just want to be a background actors. And we'll come back to That's that hard. because mm -hmm. you have uh, already progressed from that time, you know, having your first little entrance in Dreamland in that movie in 2016 to actually starring in this movie, uh, some of our stallions that will be released this year. 
uh, we'll get to that, but I just wanted to, you know, introduce that because you've, you've come such a far way of starting in music, then producing, uh, and now acting. I mean, that's not an easy step for many to take. Um, so with you, the unicorn and piercing, um, similar experiences, good experiences working, you know, with, uh, some of the same, some of the same folks and, uh, you know, um, good experience working with Robert, uh, in his second film yeah, I, directing. Yeah, I'm very lucky to working with all these movies because you, you know, when that's what you hear, that's what you hear when you make a movie in American, especially, I mean, I mean, in Los Angeles, you meet a lot of vampire, douchebag, parasite, sometimes you get ripped off. But I'm very lucky so far. Uh, each movie I'm making in each team, I become very close friend with. Really, I mean, literally, there's no, I, I didn't meet any those vampire, those snake in the grass. <laughs> I, I never met those people so far, so I'm very lucky. Very lucky. Well, we, we talked a little bit about, with some of the people we interviewed about you, um, Catherine O'Brien, Olivia Taylor mm -hmm. Dudley, Natasha Bassett, um, George Lindenberg Jr. Um, and, and we talked about how, on top of all those people being very good at what they do, very skilled and um, you know good at their craft, they're also good people. You know, they're striving to... Mm -hmm. You know, uh, be better people on their own. They're trying to make right in their industry, and you know, have a good reputation, and really cultivate mm -hmm. these relationships. It doesn't seem to be a coincidence that the people you work with, that are also your friends, you know, you, you seem they seem to be on top of very good professionals, uh, good people. Yeah, it's like, look, man, like it feels weird to say and to like describe, but it's like when you, when you strip down all the accolades, you strip down all the achievements, like you're left with your morals, your principles and your character. And if we're, you know, judging people off of that, like the impression that Al gives you is like much richer in content than like any of those things. Like the reason why I gravitate towards Al is because he makes me want to be a better me. He keeps he keeps the projects that he's a part of and the people that he's around with true to the love of the craft and as fans of, of the craft. Um, have you felt like you've drawn like-minded people in that process of making these films? I think for me, you know, for me, it's, when I make a movie, I want to make people's there's two things I want to do. I want to make people's life easier. You know, and then I want to make everybody happy. That's me when I, when I work on movie set. I know everybody spend 12 hours on movie set. Not every day is a perfect day. So for me, it's my, my passion. Also, I can say it's my hobby. I want to make everybody laugh on the movie set. I want to go to people's trailer knocking their door to, to tell them jokes just to make a good energy flow. So I think that that's my hobby, also my passion. Also, I, I really feel like this is really me because I really want to make people's life easier because this business is just so hard. So so many untrustworthy people in this business. Also, of course, also I'm from another country, right? When I come to America, a lot of people don't know my reputation in Asia. They, of course, they doubt me. So I don't want American people doubt me to think, oh, is this guy legit? Is this guy okay to deal with? I don't want that kind of perspective on me. So I want to work extra, I want to work actual hard. I want to, I want to work more hard than American people in America. So people trust me, people want to work with me. Yeah. I should mention that when we talked to Olivia, uh, Taylor Dudley, for example, she said in this business, everybody works really, really, really hard. She said of all the people that mm -hmm. she's met, nobody works harder than Al D. Al is the most motivated, hardworking person I've ever met in this business. In a business full of really hardworking people, he is 
at the top. And when we first met, he was like, I really want to make this rock and roll movie with you. I think you'd be great. You've got this crazy hair and I don't know your vibe. And I was like, sure, man, whatever, let's do it. Like, I didn't know him, but I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. His energy was just so infectious that it was hard to, to not believe him. And then when that movie didn't quite go, right away he was like don't worry we're gonna do something else and I was like okay everyone in this town says that uh, but he was right he was like I'll find something else we're gonna work together it's like he's he's really intuitive and just knows the right people and who to talk to and who he's gonna work with and and a couple months later we ended up doing some of our stallions together which came together with a few different people that we know but Al being the main uh you know friend between all of us so he really does he he means his word and and I don't know I find him to be extremely honorable and I I really trust him that that's got to be pretty high praise coming from her you know I mean she says in an industry again where everybody works so hard nobody works harder or more than Aldi I I I I think there will there actually a lot that's like a compliment I'm very hard moving but there's people work much harder than me. There's without a doubt. But but I believe I'm one of the people work hard because that's producer do right. I mean, as a as a movie producer, if you do you don't work hard, you don't reply email, you don't reply message, you don't return phone call. How can you keep move? How can you get your project keep moving? Because you make all the decisions. Let's say if tonight. One of my team members sent me a message, email, ask me a question. If I don't reply her, which means I wasted a day. I don't want to waste a day. I want every day the project keep moving, keep moving. So I just, not, not so I have to work hard as a movie producer, like everybody else. It's not easy kills. It's just as, yeah, it's not easy kills. It's just you love your project. You want your project get made. So every day count. Don't waste any hour. That's good. And I, I probably should preface by saying that um, Al has been uh, generous to work with us, with the Seattle Film Institute. We are working to produce a documentary that covers his life and, and talks about the films he's worked on, that talks about his music career and some of the bands and music and entertainers um, and influencers that um, certainly he has gotten close with and fostered relationships over the years. And uh, we, we're also going to be producing a producing class uh, that covers Al's movies uh, in the fall that we'll talk a little bit about Monique and sort of the rollout that we're doing with a lot at the Film Institute up here. Um, but for Al, um, talking about uh, Lost Transmissions and working with Catherine O'Brien, um, we, we talked with her in this project that I mentioned about this documentary, you know, covering your career. Um, Catherine was just, um, had nothing but good things to say about you. Talked about, uh, you know, your close friendship, uh, the element of trust and loyalty, you know, in this, in this profession and industry, which can be rare. Um, but uh, talk a little bit about, um, you know, that relationship with Catherine. Uh, Philippe, uh, I believe, worked with you guys a little bit in, as a producer in, in Lost Transmission as well. Um, yeah, just talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the three of you working together and, and, you know, kind of those relationships and the trust, you know, involved in producing those films. I, I, I met Catherine in 2016, before, before Breeze Bay Bear. Oh no, after Breeze Bay Bear, I got a mate. I met Catherine from a friend. Because my friend told me, oh, this uh, talented lady has a very good script. You should read. So once I read, it's everything my heart beat for. It's about music, about rock and roll, also about the sadness, depression, you know, mental, uh, mental illness, all these kind of things. I feel like it's, uh, you know, I, I know because a lot of filmmakers don't want to make a movie about mental illness. You know, at this moment, everybody making this kind of movie, but four years ago, nobody making, because I heard in America, making movie about mental illness is like a taboo. Uh, uh, maybe my information is wrong, but somebody told me. So I think, you know, so we, we should make this kind of movie to tell people how to take care of their friends if they have a mental illness. It's a, 
you know. So I committed to work with Catherine, and then we spent two years to do production, pre-production. It's really take two years. It's really not easy for this movie. And uh, during that two years making movie with Catherine, I become a very close friend of Catherine because she gave me a lot of, she become my American culture guide. Tell me what, what is popularity American, what is not popularity American. This kind of thing. So made me studied a lot of American culture as a as an Asian man. So I think you know that is the thing we will learn from a, a good people. You know, when I learn from American culture from a, a good people, in the same time I understand that she has so much lot of compassion, a lot of love. I can see how who truly she is. So I re, that, that yeah. So I really become good friend of her. So I'm glad that, that movie made get made. Also released the last year. I feel happy during that move. I feel very happy during the journey work with uh, Catherine. And, and tell me a little bit about the first time you met Al. Like what was. Did you know a lot about him or, or what was your first impressions when you didn't? You know, I think, I, I'm not totally sure, but I think the first time I met Al, um, we went to, I think it's called Genghis Cohen. It's a Chinese restaurant that's up the street from, um, from Cinefamily. It's where, you know, it's traditionally where a lot of the Jewish people in LA will go on Christmas Eve. And it was around, I think it was probably around then because it was, you know, it was kind of like bumping. And, um, and I just remember, you know, at first, at first I met him, I think he can kind of be shy sometimes. And then you, then you, and I, this was introduced to him as the great legend Al D. <laughs> and, and I kept hearing this, like, you know, the great Al D, the legendary Al D. And I met him and, you know, he, he was kind of quiet. So I kind of, I was kind of very, you know, observant and watching like where the legendary comes from. And then you start to see that um, with his, you know, sense of humor and the way that he opens up and how people receive him and sort of his outlandishness um, that where, where the legendary comes in. I think after the, we had gone to Sundance later that year, and the, by that point, I had seen all of the, uh, all of the legendary <laughs> We should record some of your old songs. Really? I think you've got something. I already do. Come in. Are you receiving me over? There's no music. You're the music. His debut album. You'll get a vinyl release. I love your stuff. I thought, this girl, you know my damage. This is a huge opportunity. I've got a line of songwriters down the hall trying to write for Dana Lee. Aaron wants me to write for Dana Lee. How cool. I just don't see you as just being like a cog in a big machine. Darren, I love her. I love her. I want her. Can I have her? You know, when a singer finds a writer they think sounds like them, they hang on for life. Come on, I want my next hit. This is Wayne Catherine. You can hear that transmission. They scare people. Don't scare me. That sounds so good. That's nice. I like that. We've constructed like a whole made-up world, and it stops us from seeing everything how it really is. Stop thinking. What are you feeling? If you can put that into your work, then you're going to come up with something really great. Excellent. And then, um, yeah, Lost Transmissions, um, on top of being a little bit uh, taboo, a little bit of a subject that, you know, we don't like to broach, uh, mental health. And, and like you said, 2020 last year brought a lot of that out in the, you know, discourse for us to talk about more you know I and mean, it made it more acceptable for people to talk about mental health but um and Catherine told me a little bit that uh they were slightly nervous how it would be received in china because again that subject also um is that similar in china this is something that's not uh, a little bit taboo to talk about a little superstitious to bring up mental health i think you know that's the thing about the american film industry at all these years, suddenly making all these movies, especially the last three years, four years, so many movies got made about mental illness, about depression, 
about other topic, you know, LGBT, about race, about everything. This is very good. I think there's no other country like American right now making all these movies about political matters, race, racial, race, racial matters, LGBT, all these kind of things. It's, that's why, you know, I'm enjoying my moment to make a movie in America. Because I feel it's important to make movies, not just about cliche, you know? Well, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the main reasons, I would say, as we've been working on this documentary about your career mm -hmm. and, and life with the Seattle Film Institute, um, we've been mm -hmm. talking about kind of some of the reasons why we're doing it. You know, it's not just to have a really cool piece mm -hmm. about a guy who loves rock and roll, who's culturally <laughs> in between, uh, you know, Chinese and America and has really cool, powerful mm -hmm. friends. Um, it's about some of these things coming out uh, that are that are bigger than movies, you know, that are that are about culture, that are about um, sometimes politics, sometimes about these our two countries, right, America and China. And, and after uh, uh, I, last I, year, ben, can, we... can I cut you for a second? Yeah. So I think yeah. So that's I I truly think that's that's. This earth is the weapon, liberate people's mind. That's why I, I, I truly, all these things, all these years I pursue art because, you know, not, let, let's not talk about movies, let's talk about music. All these musicians, Patti Smith, Bob Dylan, Marvin Gaye, Marvin Gaye, you know, Neil Young, all these people, Johnny Mitchell, you know, all these people, they make great music, all the lyrics inspire you to be free, like free spirit to know what's the matter for this world, right? And then you also on the movie side, you watch a great movie, make you want to be a better person. Right? And then sometimes, because we are all human, we are all imperfect, we are not perfect, sometimes we become selfish, we become like, not that good. But once we watch a great movie, purify our soul, purify our soul, make our, oh, we have to be better. So I think that's the power of art. That's why we have to make a good movie, not just the cliche movies. That's good. Yeah, no, that's really good. And um, what one thing that's been coming up as we've been talking to you know your colleagues and people that you've worked with in these different movies um, in this last year, it's been very difficult to be an Asian American. It's been difficult with uh, violence against. Um, Asian Americans here in the States. Um, we had the day I interviewed Catherine O'Brien um, talking about you, we had the shootings in Atlanta. Um, and more recently, uh, we had this hate crime bill come across the Senate. Um, and on a good note, to sort of counterbalance those two negative things, we had a, a major big splash of a director winning an Oscar that, um, you know, of Chinese, uh, Chinese descent. So, I mean, in some ways, making a little bit of progress, but it's been a topic that's been important to me and uh, us uh, over the last year, how we treat Asian Americans here in the, in the States and sort of this uh, backlash against them because of bad propaganda, bad media. Um, so we wanted to highlight your story as a way to show, hey, here's a guy that loves America, loves American culture, loves American music and film and art, and um, it helps strip down, you know, some of those barriers culturally between us, between Americans and and you know certainly Chinese. Yeah, yeah. So I I, I totally agree with you. I really appreciate you you guys doing this with me. And then, you know, it's very funny. I mean, I I can't speak perfect English. I have a fake. English accent, but I grew up, I, I grew up with American culture, right? I grew up with Michael Jackson, you know, Guns N' Roses. I, I eat hamburger, you know, if I don't eat hamburger, I'm like, ah, oh, I'm so hungry. I, I drinking all this American whiskey, Jack Daniel. I mean, people think it's gross, but I drink Jack Daniel. It's, 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 it's just a human eventually. I mean, I mean, some people, maybe they don't like American culture because American culture is not for everyone, but I love American culture, but it's like, a, it's like a, every other country's culture, right? right? It's, it's like, a, we, we can't judge people by 
by by where they come from. We have to judge judge people on their personality. That's that's really what I feel like. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, I think these are these are ways to break through those barriers, right? You know, music and culture and and film and. Um, it's really fortunate mm-hmm, to have mm-hmm. you, you mm-hmm. know, kind of be that emissary mm-hmm. from China to say, hey, you know, here, here's a guy. Uh, I'm just like you. I, I like what you like. I like, you know, here you, you have a great country in America. I love your, you know, culture. I love your food. I love your music. Um, I want to be engrossed in it. Um, so I, I think in return, it's, it's nice <laughs> yeah. to highlight that um, in your story. This is actually. Yeah, actually, sometimes we say. Actually, American don't need the aircraft carrier. American don't need the aircraft carrier because Amer- people already love American from all this music, rock and roll, movies, cartoon. Basically, American already uh, conquered the world, conquered the world by the great culture, right? So that's why culture is so important. Right. Right. Well, we talked a little bit in a conversation a little bit ago <laughs> uh, yeah. when I told you about guns or butter. Um, there, there were two big ways that uh, the British Empire and then the United States after that spread culture. You know, it was either through violence and you know colonizing a place, or through letting them have American culture, American food, American experience, and then them choosing. Oh, I like American culture. So, so it's not necessary sometimes by force. Um, we can use music and, and film and art and everything to make people want to. Uh, learn more about America. It's, it's, that's a, a, a good way mm-hmm. f- for it to for mm-hmm. it to happen. And that's funny because I I uh, talked a little bit with Al Monique and I told him about Coca Cola capitalism and how the you know plan to open up China in the eighties <laughs> and nineties was that was how we were going to do it through trade, through T-shirts, through music and and films and. Um, all kind of cultural exchange. I think Nixon started in the 70s saying they were, he was going to sell toothbrushes, right? Now China's oh, yeah. selling. Now we buy all our toothbrushes from China. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. Oh. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's also that interdependency, right? We're so dependent on each other. I think, if anything, the pandemic has made it really apparent that, you know, it's, you can't isolate inside your border that there's just no way to do that. And I think the fear of that is where we're seeing the world sort of trying to, like what's happening in, in Israel right now, um, in Gaza, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, this idea of like, you know, there are families that are of all nationalities living in a building and they're coming together and they're hugging their children. And they're like, this is insane. This is like, mm-hmm. this is not about humanitarianism. Mm-hmm. We don't love each other enough not to do this. And why don't we love each other enough not to hurt each other? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, Al, what you were mm-hmm. talking about, sort mm-hmm. of, we don't have time for ugly people and mean people. And, you know, um, you know, we need to be making movies that show that interconnectedness. And I think, you know, the, the power of media, mm-hmm. uh, especially during these times, I have to say, like, um, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but Netflix put that pandemic series out like January 2020 and everyone said oh this is going to be a series about the flu well lo and behold (laughs) you know the COVID-19 pandemic hits and this basically the series had been made a year before which basically they just everybody in that movie said it's coming and you're not prepared yeah so if you if you go back and watch that series it is it's so awkward because it's like it, it you know why didn't we see this film before but it makes you completely aware of the that we're on the verge of a pandemic happening, and they follow the Asian bird flu. They follow um, they're following a whole bunch of of, of these things. You know, um, it's crazy, crazy. Great. Well, the last last thing I'll ask you, Al, um, you this movie, Some of Our Stallions, it's set to be released in July. Um, I just wanted to touch on this really quick because this was a big deal for you. Um, to act in this film. And when we originally talked about it last year, I thought maybe you had like a small part, like you're going to come in and be introduced and you know, this is Al and then he's gone. I didn't know you're starring in this movie. I didn't know that you were, um, and you know, without acting classes, without a coach, without experience, um, you jumped right in, in this film. And Olivia Taylor Dudley said, 
you were so good and so convincing as a first-time actor, she felt that you were better than many experienced actors that have been doing this a long time. Can you talk a little bit about that uh, first role for you in acting and, and how difficult maybe that was? So I, I did a lot of rehearsal before the movie, so that really helps. And uh, maybe I tell a little bit of the story how, how we got this movie made how I become a, 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 a real actor. So actually, before we make this uh, Some of Our Stallions, the director Carson and me, we were supposed to make another movie, but like a much, much bigger movie. And then we sent the script to an actor. I, I can't mention the name, but after four weeks, he never read the script. So his agent said, oh, probably he will never read the script. Who do you guys want to keep pursue? And then we, we send the script to the second Hollywood actor. After another one month, he also don't, never read the script. And then we send the script to the third Hollywood actor. He never read the script. So one day, Carson and me, we were just depressed. Not depressed, just... We were complaining. You know, we were like, oh, if you and me... We are valuable actors. We should, we would love to put ourselves in the movie, you know, because we, we are producer directors. We know how to make movie. If we become good, valuable actors, we can just put ourselves in the movie, to to get a movie made. So it was a joke. But the next day, suddenly, Carson said, maybe we should make a smaller movie, start you and me. And then I said, I I I thought it was a joke. So I said, okay. And then after a couple of days later, Carson showed one of my, because in my real life, I make a lot of sketchy, sketchy comedy video on my Instagram. So Carson showed a couple of my video to his producer, Mike Judge, on Silicon Valley. So Mike Judge think a couple of my knucklehead video is funny. So he laughed. So he said, okay, I, I would love to become an executive producer on your movie. Because nobody knows who you are. <laughs> so because uh, then suddenly Michael Judge becomes the EP of this movie. We have this big name behind us. And then we, we work with UTA, get this movie made. And then we, I did a lot of rehearsal with Carson. He's a very good, because in, his, in the real life, he's my very good friend. That's why also Olivia in my real life, he's my, she is my good friend. So on the movie set, I feel like I'm around with a bunch of good friends, so I don't feel nervous. That's very helped my acting skill. Also, the movie shoot in Vancouver, Canadian people, very nice. So, you know, I just love all these West Coast people, you know, Canada are great. So I, I, I had so much fun making some of our stallions. How would you describe the incident? Just Passionate, heartfelt, ah! overzealous, maybe a touch, yeah. <laughs> okay. I think I know why we're going crazy. We're not crazy, we just can't control ourselves sometimes. <laughs> I think we need girlfriends. We need two women in the same situation we're in. You mean two girls that live in basement? No, dude, I mean two girls that are crazy. What's your name? Bonnie. Bonnie, I'm glad you are crazy. So, you and my buddy, you're in a relationship now, huh? I don't think that's any of your business, Bill. What? But if you are with Andy, you're also with me. You're gonna be my mommy. Change my poopy diaper, mommy. I feel like I'm bothering your friend. I don't want to upset him anymore. No, like you, I can tell. You're homeless, crazy, and pregnant. I have to get a job. Dude, you don't need a job, you just need money. This isn't going on. No, no. Dude, it's your hair bristles, they're like Velcro. Are we going crazy again? I don't know. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Dude, I'm nothing without you. Dude, I don't want to hurt you. When you rob a bank, you have a good, healthy baby. Think about Stop it. Stop talking about my baby. Man, ask yourself this terrible little question. Are we normal, man? <laughs> no. Hey, Bill? I'm actually going on safari. You know what I mean? I don't, and I don't want to. Frankly, it sounds like you're crazy. You can't say that to metal patients. So you know what we gotta do now, right? Yo, we gotta go back. <laughs> 
also scheduled to be released is an upcoming film Aldi executive produced called Mosquito State. Slated to be released on Shutter this month on the 25th, I was lucky enough to join in with Al as a producer. Written and directed by Philippe Han Rimza, this is an excellent film, sure to give you the creeps. I have known Al for 20 years, so it is a great honor and privilege to host him on SFI's second podcast episode. Here's a trailer of the upcoming film he and I produce called Mosquito State. This is Richard, my golden goose. What is it that you do? Quant trading. Wall Street. So, you guys think you're matadors? No, if anything, I'm a spectator. I think you're more in the ring than you'd like to admit. smart guy I ever saw. You have been working yourself too hard. Do you hear it? Do you know what they're saying? No. Bon appetit. Hope you enjoyed our conversation with Al D and friends. Coming up on our next episode, we chat with documentary filmmaker, fitness buff, and SFI alum, Nicholas Nakis. Nicholas bootstrapped the production of a new documentary about the sport of functional fitness, endeavoring to reach the Olympics. It's called Reach for the Rings. We hope you will join us next time, as this has been a podcast of the Seattle Film Institute.